Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Rounding the News. This is your weekly news roundup brought to you by and presented by Rounding the Earth. I'm your host, Liam Sturgis, and do me a favor once again this week, give me a quick thumbs up in the live chat if you can indeed hear me. I believe you should be able to. So yes, I'm Liam Sturgis, and I'm looking forward to sharing with you some of the things that I found to be the most interesting and exciting items. I'm just going in now to make sure that the Rockfin stream goes live. So while I do that, everyone tell me, how you doing today? Everyone having a good time? I know I am. Okay, it's going to go live shortly, I assume. Uh, uh, uh. And I press the nice go live button, and there we go. Fantastic. So here's what we're going to do today. Um, as a reminder, you can go to um, as you're watching today, wow, well, I'll show you after. I don't know. See, I'm already all over the place today. So welcome to Liam is all over the place brought to you by Rounding the Earth. Okay, let's get started. Here is our show for today, which I've called Problems and Solutions. Okay, so health. Hospitals were bad before. Apparently, they're even worse. In the law, new premier of Alberta, which is a province in Canada, Danielle Smith plans to update the Human Rights Code to include some people. Economy, one-third of households are suffering financially. Geopolitics, France doesn't want World War III. The, this episode could also be called, duh. Environment, meet the ridiculously resilient ridge, which is a term I have only just learned. And in culture, don't use this emoji, says the thought police. Okay, let's get started. Remember, subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Substack. That is the primary platform that Matthew Crawford produces his written content on. And uh, if you become a paid subscriber there, it helps, uh, helps us continue to do these video uh, type content shows as well. You can support us during the live stream. No matter where you're watching live on Rockfin, you can send a tip. There's a nice, easy $5 tip button. On Rumble, you can send a Rumble rant. And on YouTube, you can send a super chat. So there's that. Okay, so starting with health. It's been a few weeks since we last checked in on the state of the healthcare system around the world. So let's kick off our show today by seeing how hospitals are doing in this post-pandemic world. The answer, not so good. So there was, according to City News, uh, a bunch of documents leaked by Ontario liberals that show that hospital wait times in the province were even worse than we previously thought. I quote, this summer, uh, dozens of hospital, there we go, dozens of hospitals in the province of Ontario were forced to close their emergency rooms, beds, or ICUs because of critically low staffing levels. The Canadian Union of Public Employees recently said people who call 911 are waiting longer for an ambulance to arrive because paramedics are spending more time offloading patients than responding to emergencies. So, as can be expected, Liberal Member of Provincial Parliament Dr. Adil Shamji blamed Premier Doug Ford and his deputy for the crisis. Ford's Ministry of Health fired back, pointing out that the healthcare crisis we're seeing now is only the breaking point of a much longer crisis overseen by the Liberal Party. Ford is the leader of the Provincial Progressive Conservative Party, for those who are just as confused about Canadian politics as I am. Now, let's be clear, folks. The situation is bad. 
in the early afternoon yesterday, Glengarry Memorial Hospital, for example, in Alexandria, Ontario, announced it was closing at nighttime over this upcoming weekend. Meanwhile, the situation in the United Kingdom is uh, not so good either. Our British friends are experiencing limits on hospital care too. Queen Alexandra Hospital is redirecting all its resources to its emergency department, telling non-urgent folks to steer clear. This was done because demand for emergency response is apparently far outstripping capacity. No word in this article as to what is causing so many sudden health emergencies. But we do know they're happening. Unexpected deaths continue to pile up. Despite the lack of clarity and the wide variety of possible causes, uh, it very much seems as though deaths of strange circumstance are continuing to pile up. Here are some examples. A patient at Penticton Regional Hospital's psychiatric uh, unit in Penticton, British Columbia, died this week without explanation and with no apparent cause at this time. So he was already in hospital, but he wasn't there for, for reasons to do with a fatal potentially fatal condition or an emergency. He was in the psychiatric ward and then boom, dead. Children are suddenly suffering from their own version of the collapsing athlete syndrome while playing video games. This is well worth a read. And just as a reminder, folks, the show notes are available in the description via my liamsturges.substack.com rounding the news page. And uh, you can find all of the references in there i always publish that just before we go live and then after the show i add the specific link so um and then unfortunately and this is very sad two sudden unexplained deaths within a week in ireland aaron o'neill who we can see here and charlene morrison both just dropped dead and it's very very sad and it doesn't mean any particular cause is you know more likely than anything else, that's the point, right? I do not assert these are related to a particular cause. I do, however, join the chorus of calls for a robust investigation into why hospitals are more full now than ever, including than during a declared pandemic year or two, 2020 and 2021, and why so many people from baby to elderly are suddenly dying. They're suddenly dropping dead as a matter of habit. Call me overbearing, but I'd like to understand. So now let's move into the law. Look at this smiling woman. Danielle Smith, elected premier of Alberta. Late last week, I received a flurry of messages from my fellow Canadians informing me the new premier of Alberta was about to be announced. The excitement was palpable as it was quite clear who was going to win. Lo and behold, Danielle Smith took home the day and replaced outgoing premier Jason Kenney, known for a variety of things, including having dinner uh, at a restaurant very fancily with wine when Albertans were uh, being arrested for doing such things. I digress. While some might say anyone would be an improvement over that incumbent, Smith has been a vocal critic of Canada's COVID-19 public health policies. I put public health in quotes and has clearly indicated she would work hard to undo the damage done. The day she was sworn in, she called for vaccine choice to be clarified 
as protected under the Canadian Human Rights Act, which it already is, by the way. She also announced plans to fire Alberta's provincial health officer, Dina Hinshaw, who's in court right now. Predictably, this immediately landed Smith in hot water, as was widely shared on Twitter. As Courtney Thero says, they're the most discriminated against group I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. Danielle Smith says unvaccinated people have suffered greater discrimination than those based on race, gender, sexuality, and other. Okay, hang on. Of course, Smith's statement that we're going to watch here is being twisted and misrepresented, at least in my opinion. We're going to watch the entire video and we're going to see what she said here, okay? The community that faced the most restrictions on their freedoms in the last year were those who made a choice not to be vaccinated. I don't think I've ever experienced a situation in my lifetime where a person was fired from their job or not allowed to watch their kids play hockey or not allowed to go visit a loved one in long-term care or hospital or not allowed to go get on a plane to either go across the country to see family or even travel across the border. So they have been the most discriminated against group that I've ever witnessed in my lifetime. That's a pretty extreme level of discrimination that we have seen. I don't take away any of the discrimination that I've seen in those other groups that you mentioned, but this has been an extraordinary time in the last uh, year in particular. And I want people to know that I find that unacceptable, that we are not going to create a segregated society on the basis of a, of a medical choice. Which certainly seems reasonable. But you can't fit all of that in a tweet. And this is the problem. If you can't fit anything nuanced in a tweet. The sad fact is that most people have probably never even heard of Danielle Smith before this clip went viral. Perhaps even you watching now. Especially young people. And if all they see are one-line selections of the speech combined with contrived interpretations of what she said, we will have a false reality on our hands. Note that in the tweet I brought up before, Courtney Thero says that Smith claimed unvaccinated people have suffered greater discrimination than those based on race, gender, sexuality, and other. No, she didn't. We just watched the video. She did not say that. I don't claim to know Smith very well at all, so I can't speak for her any further than what I see and understand. It's, pos it's possible she has said other things that I will find problematic later. But in the meantime, this clip has been so severely misrepresented that Smith released a follow-up statement to clarify what she actually said and added a caveat that may have been worth including from the get-go. She posted this tweet. I wanted to clarify my comments at yesterday's press conference. Here's my full statement. Yesterday, I made comments regarding the discrimination unvaccinated individuals have suffered through over the past two years. My intention was to underline the mistreatment of individuals who chose not to be vaccinated and were punished by not being able to work, travel, or in some cases, see loved ones. I want to be clear, I did not intend to trivialize in any way the discrimination faced by minority communities and other persecuted groups, both here in Canada and around the world or to create any false equivalencies to the terrible historical, where did that go? Mis uh, discrimination and persecution suffered by so many minority groups over the last decades and centuries. We need to actively work together 
as Albertans and Canadians to end all discrimination against all minority communities. I am committed to listening, learning, and addressing the issues affecting minority communities. Over the next few days, my office will be reaching out to set up meetings with minority community stakeholders so I can better understand the different concerns of their individual communities. Sincerely, Premier Danielle Smith. In reality, she essentially repeated what she said before, but emphasized something I believe strongly. Groups of people have been systematically and rotationally oppressed for centuries, with different attributes defining the oppression at a given time. All discrimination is bad, and all discrimination should be the focus of all of our attention. Rather, the attention of all of us. Just because a new group is being put in the discrimination spotlight does not then suggest that other historically oppressed groups are no longer in the picture. That's absurd. Further, this unvaccinated population is not limited to any given color, sex, religion, nation of origin, language, gender, sexuality, age, or anything else. It's just people. A medical decision is not trivial. And millions of people in Canada alone have been subjected to tremendous hatred for making a different choice for their own body. Also, or, or, alas, I should say, the falsehoods continue, such as this headline in the Globe and Mail. Alberta Premier Danielle Smith walks back comment about unvaccinated. She did not walk back her comment. <laughs> she had nothing to walk back. This is perhaps a reminder that those with the loudest megaphone, who also partake in the censorship of opposing views, are not the majority. Smith was elected because a majority of people in the province wanted her. Uh, nuances of how their electoral system works aside. Let's hope she follows through on her promise to treat all Albertans as equal under the law and in society, undivided by any personal attribute. Now, okay, last week, not this video, but last week, one of our viewers suggested that instead of dwelling on problems, I also emphasize solutions. While I admit I felt immediately defensive, after all, Knowledge is power. I was quickly, well, I very quickly understood that this was a request based out of a very real sense of anxiety around our situation. No matter where you are on the earth, round as it is, oh, other side, round as it is, you're facing the same fundamental challenges of food security, wealth creation and protection, individual liberty, freedom of speech, the list goes on. And yeah, it's to varying degrees depending on where you are in the world, for sure. As we wade through this set of problems, we as individuals will respond differently and generate creative and unique solutions based on who we are individually, as well as our external factors, the world around us. In that sense, we can share what we've learned and apply to our own lives in order to provide more tools to the global community. That way, we can begin to rebuild our reality of well-being and personal sustainability outside the system that's trying to sacrifice us in the name of its sustainability. 
So let's start here. And that's where this video comes in. Vote out your incumbents. I had a lovely four and a half hour lunch with Carl Harrison eight days ago, who you may remember from our roundtable discussion exactly one month ago. I asked Carl for advice on how to approach choosing who to vote for in our upcoming general elections here in West Vancouver, where I live. After a cursory glance at the candidates, I was disappointed that none appeared to be acknowledging the serious problems that I and others in my community have faced since 2020 based on the actions of our own governments, let alone the failure of our healthcare system that can now be squarely blamed on their actions and failure to act. How do I choose if there's nobody on the ballot who I feel actually cares? His answer was, vote out every single incumbent. He explained that we are in an abusive relationship. And when you consider it that way, we start asking the right questions. And we start to reject the devil we know. Even if someone is in a physically and emotionally abusive household, and they know they have to leave, there are always things to slow them down or to stop them from walking away. As described in this article that I found on mentalhealth.net, the reasons can be financial, a sense of religious or cultural loyalty, or the sense of the unknown, the fear that it would be better to stick with the devil you know instead of risking going out and finding yourself in an even worse situation. Some reasons are rational, some are not. Sometimes it's not even possible to escape. This can't be discounted. But in the end, the only way to ensure your safety and well-being is to remove yourself from the position of the abused if you can. And I want to be very clear. There's definitely a difference between being in a physically and emotionally abusive household and having bad elected officials. But the logic applies here too. And the good news is we can remove ourselves in this situation. Every single elected official in my area either stood idly by while COVID-19 measures were laid down on their constituents and had no problem enforcing unscientific and unlawful mandates on their friends, family, and neighbors. I am longtime friends with my current mayor. And while I haven't talked to her since the crisis began, I don't even know how I would be able to look her in the eye right now. I sent letters. I got nothing back probably in part because they shut down our district hall for a while, city hall. So look, this is a multi-step process, but every process starts with the single step, the single first step. So let's take it. Vote out your incumbents. We'll deal with step two after election day. For us in British Columbia, we have our general elections. Tomorrow, in fact. In the United States, you got midterms coming up. Many offices are on the ballot. This is the Senate map, for example. And each one of these races is vital to maintaining our democratic system, no matter who you vote for. But my solution, use your vote to insist on change. That's what the people of Alberta did. Let's move into the economy. <laughs> 
Okay, I'm just going to really quickly check, see how our chats are going on Rumble. Gabe Gallant says she is absolutely right. Jen Slavin says talking or talk about vote out your talking about vote out your incumbents in Quebec. They reelected Legault. That's Francois Legault. Unbelievable. Cannot begin to say how dismayed and disgusted I am at my fellow Quebecers. I'm moving to Alberta soon as I can. You know, this isn't the first time that my fellow Canadians have talked about moving to Alberta. I was born in Alberta. So I suppose in that sense, I can say I'm proud. But yeah, British Columbia, I didn't include it here. But if John Horgan, our premier, had some pretty choice words to say uh, that, I don't know, we have a lot of things that kind of border on hate speech going on, even as we speak. Um, but yes, thank you for those comments. Now let's move into the economy. So look, one third is the magic number. This was a very interesting finding. In other words, about 33% of households are facing serious financial troubles. It is a fraction that I found repeated in reference to Canada, the United States, and Australia. So there appears to be a not-so-comforting uniformity to the economic collapse trapping this middle class under its increasingly aggressive thumb. According to CNBC, life is getting more expensive by the day, in case you hadn't noticed. People's already tiny financial margin of error is reduced to nothing, with households now starting to fall behind in paying their monthly bills in earnest. 32% of adults have paid a bill late in the past month, according to a recent report from LendingTree. 61% of them reported that it was because they simply could not afford to pay it. In Canada, a study conducted by TransUnion found that 25% of respondents would not be able to pay their full bills this month, October. The Bank of Canada has increased the cost of borrowing money multiple times in the last couple months, allegedly in an effort to slow stubborn inflation. But this has resulted in Canadians largely reducing their spending on everything except necessities. Even then, 55% said that their income wasn't keeping up with inflation meaning their dollars will lose value faster than they can increase the amount of dollars they earn. There's that uh, beautiful Australian dollar bill. Meanwhile, the great down under has marked a truly horrific day. The increase in cost of living has officially overtaken COVID-19 as the primary source of stress for Australians. Ah! Unsurprisingly, the darkness is not limited to the economy. Over, oh, sorry, almost half of those surveyed said they felt lost when it came to their mental health and well-being. About 46% felt their problems did not warrant seeking support, which is pretty dark. According to a survey conducted by Beyond Blue, that is. Okay. Just as with the United States and Canada, Australians cite the combination of inflation, increasing rates, uh, you know, increasing interest rates by their central banks, and general worry about the cost of living as the source of most stress in their households. But unfortunately, we can't stop there. The United Kingdom is in a very bad spot, with Britain's economy poised to, quote, slow sharply, as around one third of households no longer had meaningful savings. So, um, again, solutions. Let's look at it this way. Let's try to use this challenge as an opportunity. When it comes to paying the bills, one of the easiest things you can do 
is redirect your money and energy away from groceries and towards something you can build yourself. Here is a snapshot of a report titled Food Price Outlook 2022 and 2023 prepared by the United States Department of Agriculture's Economic Research Service. You can read this if you want. Consumer price index. Basically, uh, the level of food price inflation varies depending on whether the food was purchased for consumption at home or away from home. The food at home, grocery store, supermarket food purchases, CPI increased 0.7% from July 22 to August 22 and was 13.5% higher than the prior year. And same thing, but 8% higher for restaurant costs. So it's going to get more expensive. You'll get no fancy schmancy economic insights from me. I'll leave that to Matthew. Let's make it real simple. Food is going to continue getting more expensive for the remainder of 2022 and likely all of 2023. If you can shave some money off of your grocery bill for the next couple of weeks, use it to purchase the first pieces you need for a small garden of your own. Now is the time to do it. Don't do it out of panic. Do it because for the first time in a while, you have the perfect reason to give it a go. I myself, I'm growing kale, tomatoes, strawberries, shishito peppers, which are these guys here, Japanese peppers that are sometimes very, very, very spicy, <laughs> uh, and spinach. And I earn some of my neighbor's Swiss chard by taking care of it for him. I love the time I spend tending to my vegetables. And I mean that. It's ridiculous how I feel like I could just do it all day. And it does, it's one of the few things that in no way feels like I'm wasting my time or like I'm, I never feel like I'm supposed to be doing something else. And I think there's something to that. I think that's a sign. And good news. The results are tastier, healthier, and so much cheaper than recurring grocery bills. Now, this is a solution that won't fix your problems all at once. In fact, even using the term easy earlier might have been a mistake on my part. And if it is, I apologize, because everything worthwhile does take some effort. But it is one chip in a thick wall that needs to come down, bit by bit. I am a complete amateur myself, and I'm not yet connected to the alternative home gardening community that I know exists, but I'm happy to direct you to this very straightforward, uh, 11 year old introductory article on natural news. If you can, if you do find resources that you think are worthwhile to share with the rounding the earth community, drop them in the comments either during or after the show, and I will bring them up in an upcoming show. And as Nom Nom Yam says, gardening is therapeutic. So, right off the bat, you see you're in good company. And Nom Nom Yam is a very appropriate name given the subject matter. Okay, so now let's move on to today's sponsor, which is the Rounding the Earth reading list. That's a, a stock photo. I don't know who that is. And I don't know what those books are. But before the COVID-19 crisis, I had basically stopped reading books altogether. Then as I started to ask questions, I realized there was a whole world of science, history, and intrigue available to me in a format that can't be censored once it's printed. In other words, there's a lot to catch up on. And Rounding the Earth has begun putting together an official reading list. 
So if you're trying to make sense of the COVID crisis, the geopolitical situation with Russia and China, the role of Bitcoin in the, the new economy, and many other topics, we are making it easier for you to get started. So visit the Rounding the Earth book recommendations page on the Campfire Wiki. Again, link is in the show notes, which is the first link in the description. Most recent Substack article is the one you're looking for. And you will find a tidy list of titles and very brief summaries. Each title, and this is the key, is attached to an Amazon affiliate link, meaning each book you purchase by first clicking through on this page contributes a small commission to the RTE coffer. This list is just getting started, and there are many more titles to be added. Support the show and increase your knowledge all at once. And yes, we also don't like Amazon. But unfortunately, so far, we haven't found a referral or a, uh, an affiliate service that does books quite like Amazon does. So help us find one if it exists. And in the meantime, you can support us this way. Okay, moving into very robust discussion on geopolitics. I don't know. For, <laughs> it would be kind of funny to leave the entire segment just to this one tweet. Emmanuel Macron stating what hopefully is obvious. We do not want a world war. That I speak French, and that was a terrible French accent. I'm not even going to try. But I'll add a couple of responses from folks that I thought were funny and potentially poignant on both sides of the discussion. So this first meme is dedicated to those taking everything at face value. They lied to us about Iraq, Afghanistan, Syria, Libya, weapons of mass destruction, Vietnam, Iran, North Korea, Venezuela, Guatemala, Honduras, Haiti, Cuba, Panama, Nicaragua, but they're telling the truth about Ukraine. I thought that was pretty funny. But then it goes the other way, okay? To those who don't believe anything their government says and blindly trust the Kremlin side of the story, I'm an independent thinker who doesn't trust what the government and mainstream media say. And for those just listening on the audio podcast, it's some kind of sea monster with its mouth wrapped around a pipe that has a label that says literal Russian propaganda. I just thought this was funny. <laughs> um, uh, not that I necessarily agree. But it was just fact. It was just funny. It was very funny. And then I don't even know who this next one is supposed to be for, but I still think it's funny. And it is. Jay in Kiev asking, has Macron found a way to surrender yet? And a meme of Macron. And it says, when you can't surrender unconditionally because it's not your country. Again, I don't know what the point of that is or who it's directed at. I just found that funny. So let's move on. Environment. Bizarre weather holding the Pacific Northwest hostage. I learned a new term yesterday. Ridiculously resilient ridge. What is that? Good question. According to Wikipedia, it is a term used to describe, quote, a persistent anti-cyclone that occurred over the far northeastern Pacific Ocean, contributing to the 2011-2017 California drought. Apparently, though, it's not just limited to that six-year period, as I've just seen it appear in both the mainstream and alternative media. Um... Uh, sorry, in the context of something plaguing the Pacific Northwest of North America. So Dane Wingington of Geoengineering Watch called it a engineered high-pressure heat dome that is turning parts of Western North America into a wasteland, including agricultural regions. 
The San Francisco Chronicle, on the other hand, used the term to describe an ever-present high-pressure system that, quote, continues to tower just off the coast of the Pacific Northwest. So the two sources don't appear to contradict each other on this. Dane simply alleges that it's a man-made phenomenon. Remember, last week we talked a lot about man-made climate change to solve man-made climate change. Um, whereas the Chronicle is comfortable calling it bizarre and unique. And a coincidence, I'm sure. In the end, the news is the same. There is a well-described weather pattern in place right now that is steering cool, moist air from the Pacific toward the California coast. The result is, whether natural or man-made, to cut off the flow of precipitation from the western United States and parts of British Columbia. And let's just look at this. Whatever This is whatever they're talking about. And it's doing some pressure thing. It's pressure cooking where I live right here, all the way down into here. Anyway. And then apparently the Bay Area of Southern California has got some foggy mornings. So, in other words, foggy, misty mornings are currently the norm. Sorry, I hear the choppers. They've come for me. Uh, while the rest of the West Coast is in a catastrophic drought. Now, living in Vancouver, British Columbia, I can attest to the fact that while we're not dealing with an intense heat wave yet or currently, we haven't seen rain in at least a month. So I guess it's time for me to go back to watering my garden while nervously looking over my shoulder for the helicopter that just flew by. Um, so we're going to end now on culture. Are you feeling offended yet? Have I offended you? I guess I'm not doing everything correctly yet if I haven't offended you. If you're in the Gen Z crowd, apparently you might be offended by now. If you're not, you're possibly wondering what the heck this headline means. Why nobody should be using the thumbs up emoji in 2022. Gen Zers say they feel attacked whenever they see a passive aggressive thumbs up emoji. Yada, yada, yada. That's right. According to a mysterious poll whose origin I cannot find, it's a pretty, it's a pretty serious problem to send a thumbs up emoji. In fact, it's such a transgression that it leaves Gen Zers, as you see here, feeling attacked by the passive aggressive emoji, as I said. Yikes. This was thrown to me in the what's happening section on Twitter, you know, where Twitter tells you what to feel and uh, what they feel is the most important thing you should know at any given time. Of course, emojis are one thing, but the underlying issue elaborated on in the Daily Mail article is that of apparent passive aggressive communication in the workplace. Here on the right is a handy cheat sheet of the language that the aforementioned language police has decided you should avoid using at all costs in the context of work. Let's run through these. Per my last email actually means the information is in previous correspondence. Why did you not bother to read it before asking? Hope this helps means never ask me for anything again. Thank you for your feedback. I'll be sure to keep it in mind. Means your criticism is incorrect and irrelevant and I'll never consider it. Just to clarify means, do you realize how stupid that sounds? You can read the rest of them yourself. I don't know about you, but I'm proud of my ability to communicate. The written and spoken word is an art, full of nuances and changes, sending information steeped with intent, curiosity, and passion all at once, on my good days at least.
a certain amount of formality in the workplace is also something I enjoy, and I have no qualms with it. And I find the only rule that actually matters is that of mutual respect. Once that's established, you tend to drop the formalities, even with your superiors. That's when things get a lot more fun. But that is mutually earned, not enforced by dumbed down language, by emojis or otherwise, to, to accommodate children who have not yet learned how to healthily manage their anxieties, which we all have, by the way. If there's one thing I've learned in my career as a musician and in life in general, the key to success is to be a good hang. Be yourself and respect other people. Take yourself seriously, but definitely not too seriously. Face challenges and social interactions with bravery, not cowardice. Don't try to tame other people to fit them into your worldview. Try to learn how you can improve and teach others to do the same. Oh, wait, it's 2022. Never mind, as you were, thought police. In any case, thank you very much for tuning in, guys. I have been Liam Sturgis, and you can find me at www.liamsturgis.com or on Twitter at the Liam Sturgis. Subscribe to Rounding the Earth on Substack, Rumble, YouTube, and Rockfin to stay up to date with all of our newest videos. And I look forward to seeing you again next week. But before we go, Gabe Gallen says on Rumble, as a millennial, I can understand about the thumbs up emoji. Some interpret it as the equivalent of responding with K. You know, I don't, I don't deny that. And in fact, Gabe, I grew up, I'm I just turned 27. So I grew up as emojis and emoticons and all that were like that whole language was being developed in real time. So I, I'm aware that it's there. The issue I have is when it starts to become discussed as something you can't do. That's the part I laugh at. Um, but that's how language evolves, is, is how are people using it and how are people interpreting it? And you know what? I, I, I will say over time, if humanity, led by the younger generation, does evolve the language uh, and it is for the better and it is naturally, then that means it was meant to be. But in the meantime, that is what I think the main point of what Jordan Peterson got famous for saying is it's not about whether or not you want to be called this. It's not whether or not I think it's, you know, not whether or not I want to do it. It's if you force me to use certain language, you're going to repel me. And, uh, and I think that applies to people at large. But it is definitely true about how some people interpret that language. And I appreciate you sharing that with us. So folks, we will see you on the other side. And um, if you've enjoyed the show, please don't hesitate to send us a super chat, a rumble rant, or a tip on Rockfin. And we will see you again very soon. Be well. Mm -hmm.